Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Week number two in the series called Moving Forward. And if I could use an old term, I'm stoked about this series. Uh, We're talking about moving forward with a great purpose to live for. Um, We're talking about moving forward with great principles to live by, um, a great power to live on, great people to live with. And last Sunday, we talked about moving forward with a great passion to live effectively. And church history has shown us that when it's faced trials and setbacks and even persecution, the church exploded. Others came to know Christ. There's something about when circumstances are are against us that that we are not overwhelmed, but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, and the church moves forward. And I believe that a lot of this can, you know, we could probably explain a lot of this with an adage that Warren Buffett once said that makes me chuckle, but I think there's so much truth in it. And we can apply this to the church, I believe. He said, when you are swimming in the ocean and the tide goes out, you soon learn who is skinny dipping. <laughs> In other words, when the tide goes out, you can't hide anymore. And that's, I think, what happens during times of trials and, and setbacks. You, you learn who's really, who's really walking the talk, who's really committed to this cause, because there's so much that, that is at risk and, and, and our lives can be a little more affected by things. And yet we're still there, um, walking the talk that we, we've been, we've been sharing all along. I've always marveled at this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's been shared many times, but it's about a little church who met in Eastern Europe <clears throat> where it was illegal because of communism to to meet. And in this church, there was about 100 people. And on one particular beautiful Sunday, when they just finished the prayer, there's a loud bang and the door of the church burst open and in walking came these soldiers carrying submachine guns. And they made their way to the front of the church and they began yelling at all the prisoners there. They said, you are the filth of the earth and you are parasites ruining this glorious revolution we're trying to do. And they shouted out how the time had come to rid the nation of these Christians. And the soldiers then acknowledged how maybe some of you are here today and you don't believe in all this religious nonsense. So we're going to give you 60 seconds to leave the room. If you want to recant and renounce, you know, this time of worship and who Christ is, now you can go. And there was silence. I wonder what would you have done in that situation? I thought about that many times about what I would do. But suddenly about half the congregation rushed to the doors and left the church. Some went through windows because in order to escape before the 60 seconds went by, they did not want to get shot. Well, when one minute came and went, silence filled the room as those who would not flee were left standing and staring at the muzzles of these machine guns. Um, being held by the soldiers. Waiting a moment, the soldiers then dropped their guns and they said to those who had not left, those who remained, brothers and sisters, we are believers. We've come to worship with you. But first we had to <laughs> rid ourselves of the imposters and the uncommitted. Our lives are too much at risk and too much, you know, to, to allow ourselves to be open to those who are not serious. We need to know who's committed in this church, who's just playing and who are really believers. When the tide goes out, we need to know who's really in. In our men's group last week, 
we we talked about, and we meet online, by the way, so it's very easy to do. But we're looking at this uh, study by Mark Patterson. He talked about this trip he took to the uh, Galapagos Islands. He said, you know, he 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 saw like two hundred year old giant turtles called tor tor tortugas which, you know, weighed like nearly a thousand pounds. And, and he came face to face with these giant iguanas who were not intimidated by man whatsoever. And he said he watched these pelicans, which look like these prehistoric uh, pterodactyls, dive bombing into the ocean to get these huge fish. And he said, I went swimming with the sea lions in their national habitat, which he found out later probably wasn't the safest thing to do. But Mark Patterson was sharing, and as we saw in our group listening, said how a few weeks later he was home, and he went to the city zoo. He took his family to the city's zoo. And it was a nice zoo, but it was nothing like what he experienced in the Guapala Islands. I mean, looking at these caged animals, it fell way short of witnessing the wild animals that he saw in their natural habitat. He said, and the zoo is just too safe. It's just too predictable. And then he said how he believed that many in, in the church probably feel the same way today. At, you know, at the zoo, he observed these 400-pound gorillas behind these protective plexiglass. And they looked so bored, so disinterested in their circumstances and with their life. And at that moment, Batterson speculated, if churches, if churches do this to their people, I mean, it's just, they just play it so safe. They're, they're, it's so predictable. There's no risk. There's no adventure. So we become bored. We become disinterested. And it made me think about, I wonder how effective safe Christianity is. Hmm? Today, we're talking about moving forward with purpose. And one of the things I learned about purpose is that if you were to accomplish it, there are risks. You need faith. You're going to have to step out. You're going to have to be part of an adventure. You can't always play it safe. And this is what I learned about life. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Your purpose gives you reason to go uphill. And your purpose gives you reason to risk. And your purpose will give you reason to venture out into the unknown. And your purpose will give you reason to venture out where it may not always be safe. But C.S. Lewis once said this, if you never take risk, you'll never accomplish great things. Everybody dies, but not everyone has lived. I remember, you know, and I think about taking risks, how everything worthwhile is uphill. I remember when Glenda and I were becoming close friends and we're, at, we're hanging out a lot together. And I knew I just didn't want a relationship to be a casual dating relationship. I was falling in love with her. And I knew I had to take the risk to tell her how I felt. And I remember one night <clears throat> coming back from a church service in Toronto. Our mothers were in the front and Glenn and I were in the back seat of the car. And I knew this was it. This was the moment I needed to tell her how I feel. And I was so nervous. I knew, you know, this, this was a dangerous move because if she didn't feel the same way I did, I could lose everything. I could lose this friendship. You know, and, and, you know, she gave me the old line, like, you know, I just, you know, I just want to be friends. I don't want to be anything more. And I knew that would be a death sentence, but I had to risk it. I had to step out if our relationship was going to go deeper. Everything worthwhile is uphill. So with a shivering hands and, and nervousness and a crackling voice, I began to pour out my heart to her. I told her how I felt. I confessed my feelings to her about for about like five minutes. And it was one of the most scariest moments in my young life. 
And Glenda never said a thing. She never said a word while I'm laying it all out before her, you know, vulnerable beyond degree. And when I finished, there was a short moment of silence. The time of reckoning had come. And she looked at me. And you know what she said? She said these three words. Tell me again. <laughs> Those weren't the three words I was wanting to hear. These were not the words. So, you know, she said, tell me again. I want to hear it again. So I, with all this nervousness and vulnerability and crackling voice and shivers, I began again to tell her how I felt about her. Everything worthwhile is uphill. It will often require risk. It means you can't always stay in the comfort and the safe zone. It requires venture if you're going to move forward. You know, when, when, the, when the soldiers come busting in, bursting in, where do we stand in this relationship with Christ? When the ocean tide goes out, Will our real intentions be revealed? Has it just been like, yeah, we're one of you, but no, really, we, we are not. It's been a, um, it's been all talk. Last Sunday, we began this moving forward series talking about having a great passion, a great passion. The truth about us is this. When we want to accomplish something worthwhile, when we want to accomplish something that's uphill, uh, you know, we, we, we set out to do this and there will be obstacles in our way. But when there's passion, there's devotion to follow through. People, they can try to guilt us into action and, and they may make us feel obligated that we need to do something to, we need to act on this thing. And, and both of them can work for a short time, for a short distance. But it's when we're passionate about that worthwhile thing that lies uphill when we're committed and see it through. That's what passion does. It gives us a desire and a want to take the course, even when it's uphill, even when there's obstacles, we are going to get through. So let me throw in some bonus uh, material from last week's sermon on passion. And this comes at no extra cost to you. This is just a freebie for you. But if you are still discovering what is my passion, what, what, what do I really care about? Then answer these three questions. This may help you. Number one, what do I sing about? When you hear people sing and what they sing about, you can tell uh, a little bit about their heart where it is. Number two, what do I cry about? Like we saw Nehemiah last week, he was mourning and sorrowing when you heard about the condition of Jerusalem. That was became his passion. He cried about that. And thirdly, what do I dream about? Those three things may help you discover your passion. One question everybody asks themselves in their life is this, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? That's what we're talking about today. And there's this clip from Everyone Loves Raymond that I laugh at every time when um, the, his daughter asks him to uh, ask him the question, like, why are there babies? Like, why are there babies? And he's thinking, well, his daughter wants to know about the birds and the bees. And, you know, and Raymond just doesn't know how to answer. So he fakes the sneeze fit. He starts sneezing and, and says, excuse me. And he, so he does this to, to defer to a later date to answer her question. And so the later date is common and Ray comes into her bedroom with all these books ready to answer the question, where, why are there babies? You know, give her the talk on the birds and the bees and uh, look what happens. Allie? Hey. Hi, Daddy. Hi. What you doing? Just playing with my dolls. Oh, good. Good. Listen, um... The other day you, you asked questions about babies and stuff. When you started sneezing? <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yeah. Um, anyway, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that now. Okay. Good, good. Let me try to explain a few things. All right. Okay. Here's what happens. When a man and a woman love each other very much, they get married. And then sometimes they decide to make a baby. Why are there babies? Right, right. Okay, I'm going to get to that. Okay. What a man and a woman do is... No, I mean, I know that the man and the woman have to do something, but why are we born? Why has God put us here? <laughs> Because that's what? If we all go to heaven when we die, then why does God want us here first? <laughs> um, why does God want us here? Yeah, why? Why are we here, Daddy? Yeah, I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> you don't want to talk about sex? <laughs> you, ever, you ever hear the word fallopian? <laughs> Okay, you really want to know why God wants us here first? That's a good question. You see, God is up in heaven, and, well, honey, it's very crowded up there. It is? Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't want to be in heaven if it's crowded, right? <laughs> Remember when we went to Disney World, how crowded that was? Huh? I mean, it was fun, but it was too crowded, right? <laughs> so God, he sends us down to earth for a little while to ease the heavenly congestion. <laughs> Oh, I laugh at that every time. But that's how a lot, that's how prepared people are to answer the question, why am I here? Why does God have me here? What is the purpose? What is his will for my life? Uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said there are two great days in a person's life. The day they were born. And secondly, the day they discover why. 
John Maxwell says this. I love this. When you find your why, you find your way. I'm told that the number one question Christians ask and want to know the answer to is this. What is God's will for my life? What is his purpose for me? And I think that's a great question. Why? Well, because for a few reasons. Number one, because a person asking knows there's a person, there's a purpose for their life. That's a great beginning. Secondly, because this person wants to know and make sure it's God's purpose for their life, not their own purpose or someone else's purpose for them. So that's tremendous. And thirdly, because they know it is God's, it's in God's purpose where they're going to find enrichment and satisfaction for their life. So that's a good question to ask. What is God's purpose for my life? It seems like such a big, daunting, riddle, sometimes shrouded in mystery and complexities, like what does God want me to do? And we feel like we don't know the answer to this question and, and, and we can't move forward till we find and discover and unravel this great riddle. But I want to tell you today, I want to tell you today, it's actually not that complicated. Finding God's purpose for your life is not uh, as much of a mystery as we sometimes make it out to be. And I believe that one of the places we can find the key to discovering God's purpose for our life is in one of Jesus' parables. And it's a parable that maybe we don't think first is talking about finding God's purpose for our life, but it's really a big part of it. It's right there. So it's my favorite parable, so you probably know which one I'm going to talk about. In Jesus' parable of the three servants, the master gives each of the servants a task to do. And each is, is task, each task is given to them according to their ability. And that's important to know because the servant, this master does not want to overwhelm his servants with more than what they could handle. Now, at the end of Jesus' story, uh, it reveals, I believe, the principle how we know and find God's big purpose for our life. The master says to the two servants who did as he asked, who were obedient, who, who came, who took the task and, and, and got it done. We read this in Matthew 25, 21. His master said to these servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, underline that word little, so I'll put you in charge of much, underline that word much. Enter into your master's joy. The key, I believe, to discovering and knowing God's big purpose for your life is to begin in being faithful and trustworthy with the little things he gives you to do now. We will, you know, the problem is we can wait and sit passively for the God to reveal the big thing. You know, he wants that we want to know that this is what my life is about. And God's saying, no, first I want to know, can I trust you in the little things? Two of the three servants in this story Jesus told were faithful and trustworthy with the little the master had given him. And, and, and it meant that they had to risk something. They had to step out. They had to get out of their comfort zone. They had to be active in, in, in what they had been given. And when the master could see that they were obedient, he said, you were faithful with a little. So I'll put you in charge of much. We say, God, I'm waiting for the much. Now, what is the much for my life? And God says first, where are you now? And respond, well, I'm in the little things. I'm, I'm doing the little things. And God wants to know, he says, I want to know if I can trust you here with these little things in the little before I give you the much. So I look back and I look back at my life. I can see how true that is. 
And, you know, and that's why I'm excited about this message. I mean, I really believe this, that if you are faithful in the little things, God will cause you and help you responsible for more and much. I remember as a teen, about 17 years old, thinking I was the only Christian in the world. I really believe that. I was in a church with no youth. I would read my, my Bible in my basement in my room and really felt I was alone. And then one day I was invited to a Christian teen camp with my cousin and, and a friend. And that meant the risk. That meant going, you know, to, to a new place and meeting people I didn't know and doing something I wasn't familiar with. And I remember one night at the campfire with all these, these people, all these young people my age around there and thinking I was the only Christian, the chaplain, the speaker said, if you're a Christian, raise your hand. And I remember I just dying inside going, oh, no, like this is like when the soldiers bust in, you know, and said, "Okay, who's committed? Who's not? And I thought, I can't deny my Christ. I know I'm the only Christian here and I'm going to be embarrassed and people are going to laugh at me, but I cannot deny my Lord. So I closed my eyes and raised my hand. I think I'm the only one. And when I opened my eyes, I was amazed when I saw everyone except my cousin and his friend. Everyone had their hands up. I went, wow, wow. Life changed for me on that day. And I found, suddenly met Christian friends who believed what I believed and who I could have community with. And they were all from Toronto. So at age 17, I moved to Toronto. And while I was in Toronto, I was offered this position with a band that I'd always been a fan of and grew up listening to. I knew all their songs. I knew who they were. And that was a big thing for me. And it was a risk. You know, and I'm going to school and I'm working with this band and it was at the, at the pinnacle of their career. They, um, they had just built a, a recording studio, which bands did not do back then before the digital age. And they were recording, uh, their biggest album they've ever had. And I got to be a part of that. And, you know, and this studio is still the, the studio to record in today in Canada. I mean, um, everybody from David Bowie to, um, Prince to Drake have recorded there. I mean, it's a big deal. And I get to, I get to work with this band in their offices. It was a business and I'm on the phone talking to radio stations. I'm talking to the government to convince them to allow us to set off explosions in Maple Leafs gardens during one of our shows. And it was great. And I got to be in the studio when they recorded their biggest album and only three people were allowed in there beside the band, the, the sound engineer who won the Juno that year, the assistant engineer and me, a 17 year old kid. And I just felt like so blessed. And I remember just watching this band growing and they even played this concert. They headlined with two other bands, this one concert. They headlined with um, uh, Van Halen and Scorpions and played in front of 250,000 people. I was just sea of people. And I just got to be friends with these guys, ate supper with them, laughed with them, talked with them, knew them. They knew me by name. I thought, this is it. This is the big thing. This is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And then at age 19, I had a dream one night where I was um, helping a lady with her sick child who needed some medical attention. And I was helping her to get to the hospital. And I got them there and I handed the baby off to the nurse. And I remember in my dream asking the nurse this question, will this baby live? And the nurse looked at me in my dream and said, yes, because of your faith, this child will live. And then suddenly I woke up and I wasn't dreaming anymore. I saw three lights and I heard God's voice say to me, save my children, save my children, save my children over and over again. It wasn't a command like you need to save my children. It's like, no, Mark, this is my heart. 
This is my plea. This is what I'm calling you to be part of. Would you work with me in this mission that's so dear to me that I'm doing everything about to save my children? And so I left the secular music field and began pursuing a more Christian uh, bent uh, music. And it was a risk. I left the, the big thing, the glorious thing, but I believe I was being obedient in a little, with this little thing now leaving and, and beginning a new life. And that July 18th, 1981, I asked Glenda out on a date and that was a risk. Um, Christmas 1981, I gave her a promise ring. Uh, you know, I, we, then I moved to 1982, moved to Winnipeg, uh, because she was going to school there and I began taking school and music. And in October that year, we got engaged. In spring 1984, um, God impressed upon me, not in an audible voice, but just, I mean, so I can't tell you, it was stronger than that. I remember sitting in my room and there was this choir tour from our school ready to go out on a Western tour out to the West Coast. And like an hour before they left, God said, Mark, you need to be on that tour. I want you on that tour. I said, well, I like, I, I can't just show up and say, take me on a tour. Like, I, but he said, no, you need to. So I packed my bags. I showed up at the bus with my bags packed, said to the professor, I want to come. You know what he said? Yes. I couldn't believe it. So I'm getting on this bus. I'm reading this music, learning the songs and began singing with a choir across uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, BC. And it was one morning in, in a little place called Enderby, British Columbia. I was sitting on the bus after the concert the morning later after. And God said, Mark, this is what I want from you. I'm calling you the pastoral ministry. I went, what? Never. I mean, seriously, never, ever considered that. Never thought of myself as a pastor. I tended to put them up on pedestals. Like, I know who I am. And, you know, they're, 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 they're a different breed of, of people. And God said, no, I want you to do this. This one, this is what it's all been about. This is all these little decisions about leading you to this, to be a pastor. And I said, yes, because I knew God was asking me. And it was a risk because I was going to be married a few months later. So I had to call Glenda. I said, Glenda, I got to tell you something. God called me into the ministry. And I said, yes, and we're going to get married soon. I know this changes a lot. And Glenda said, that's okay. I know God has prepared my heart. He told me something new was coming. A big change was coming. And he's prepared my heart. So this is it. Yes, let's do it. And I said, God, thank you for that confirmation. That is so good. Well, and I went to school for theology in 1989. I graduated. I moved to this little rural church in Ontario with about 40 people in it. And, you know, I remember near the beginning of this ministry um, that the denomination sent me this book and I kept it. I don't know why, but I just found it so hilarious. I'm in this little church that can't even afford me that I have to pastor another little church to help pay one little salary. And it's just me. And, and they sent me this, this book. I still have it today. It's called uh, a multiple staffed handbook, like how to lead a multiple staff. And, you know, and some of the chapters are just about the philosophy of a multiple staff, foundations for a successful staff ministry, you know, communication, you know, issues in a multiple staff ministry. I'm going like, why? Like, it's just me. I mean, why this book? And, and I kept it and it's still in my office today because my very next church, after being successful, after being obedient and, and the little things of that first church where it actually doubled inside, God called me to one of the flagship churches in our denomination, where guess what my main responsibility was as a lead pastor to oversee a staff of over 20 people. I just couldn't believe it. You know, you don't know, you don't know, like you, you don't know these little things that God said, just be faithful. Can I trust you here in these little things? Cause then I can trust you with much. 
Well, after that, I was asked to join a church of an attendance of 2000. And I just sort of stopped there. But, you know, I moved back to Ontario, became a church that grew, um, became part of church renewal, became a coach in church renewal. And it's just, it's just, I just want to say like, it's been a series of decisions of God, you know, Call me to the little things, being faithful in little things, and then I can trust you with more. That's what I believe our lives are like. So we're looking like, God, I'm waiting for this big thing. And God's saying, no, can I trust you here right now in what you're doing, what I'm calling you to do? So I just want to share with you, like, that's a specific, specific things. And I can't speak specifically in your life, but I can speak generally based on the Bible. Some of the areas that God will call you to be faithful in. And I thought, let's just look at some of the areas that we've talked about recently in recent messages. And how are you doing in these areas? How are you answering God to be faithful in what you may think are little things, but God wants to know, can I be, can, are you faithful? Can I trust you here? And so I first thought about, well, we all have words to speak. We all have that in common. And regarding our words, we heard this recently. We've talked about this in Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Listen to this. Let everything you say, everything, be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So you might be sitting here waiting like, I, I want to have influence on the lives of others. But I wonder, do you think God will give you this big responsibility and privilege if you're not faithful in what you say to others? And the little things day to day of your life. Do you think God would just plot this amazing opportunity to be a, a teacher, a preacher, a missionary, a, a, a business person, an entrepreneur who's given the opportunity to speak in the lives of others at a large scale if you cannot, if he cannot first trust you to be faithful in doing this and the small opportunities afforded you now? So take that seriously. Let everything you say be helpful. Let it be good. Let it encourage, let it others around you. Another one of the big questions we can ask is, who will I marry? Who will I spend the rest of my life with? In fact, I remember as a young man, I didn't include this in my, my story, but God said it, Mark, if you would, if you would wait for marriage, you know, then I'm going to give you a beautiful wife. And, and God, and, you know, and when Glenn and I were engaged and we were together, we did not become husband and wife, you know, if you know what I mean, until we were husband and wife. And God honored that promise. And it's, it may seem like a small thing, but God honors, you see, can I trust you in the small things? I will give you much more. And we recently saw in Second Corinthians this verse, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And as Christians, we, we justify, we compromise in this so much. How can a righteous how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And yet we say, I will. I'll try it. I got to do this because if I don't do this, I won't find anybody. And God is thinking like, no, can I trust you in the little areas? Can I trust you in this? I know it's hard. I know you got a risk. I know you don't see how it can ever work out, but I have a plan for you. I just want to know, can I trust you in this area? Will you wait until you find a believer to team up with in life? I've seen that compromise me more and more in my ministry than I can count. Or, you know, all of us want to be blessed with more financial resources. I do. And probably we think, you know, we can handle more financial resources. But this is it. Can God trust us with what we have? And one of the great verses, you know, that that answers that question is Malachi 3.10, where God says, bring all the tithes. That is, you know, you know, let's just talk about 10% of, of, of your increase. Let's bring it in so there's enough food in my temple, in my church. And if you do this, the Lord of armies says, heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then God has this, says this, try it, put me to the test. 
So God wants to know, okay, you want to be blessed. You want to have influence, but can I trust you with what you have? You know, can I, before I give you much, can I trust you with a little? And this is a great area of tithing if we can say to God, yes. In fact, I'll tell you this. This will be very transparent, but when the pandemic hit, I was concerned about my financial security because I didn't know if everybody would leave and not give and, you know, I have a mortgage and a family. And then I thought, well, you know, I started to worry about it. And, and God just, you know, and I said to God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to increase my tithe. I think it was by 20%. I'm going to increase it because I trust you and have faith in you. And I believe, I'm just saying, I just believe that when God asks you that, when he says, trust me in this area, in these little things, he will bless you with much. How about this verse? We've talked about this so much. Hebrews 10, 25, talks about coming together. And, and God says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And, and if there's ever been a time in my history of ministry, this is the time where some people are neglecting meeting together. They just got in the habit of not meeting together. They just kind of don't care about it. And the tide's gone out. And we're finding out who's really skinny dipping. So let's not neglect our meeting together. Some people do, but encourage one another. You don't understand how encouraging it is that your presence, that your Worshiping together blesses others, but encourage one, one another, especially that the day of his return is drawing near. We talked about that last week, how close it is. We wonder why am I not getting the position? Why am I not finding the spouse? Why am I not receiving the resources? Why did I, don't I have the direction and the spiritual help? Like, God, where are you? And I just feel like God wants to say, I'm in the little things. I'm calling you in the little areas to find out if I can trust you if you're faithful in these little things before I give you the much. And there are other places in the Bible which really uphold this idea that the little things matter in our life. I think it's in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, where it begins saying, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. We say, yes, I want that. I want all the richness. I want to fill my life. You know, it's something all of us want is what we want. And then it says, well, then do this, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So God gives us these wisdom. He gives us this direction. You know, he tells us how we can right now be faithful. And he says this to us. He says, he talks about our attitude. He says, sing praise and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So how do we respond in these areas? Are we grateful? Are we thankful? Are we worshiping him? Are we trusting him here and now? It's all about gathering together. It's all about gratitude. It's all about my heart and how it's positioned. And then it says these words, and whatever you do or say, underline that, and whatever you do or say, so everything else, all things, everything, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So even in the little things, even in the what may seem like mundane things, um, you know, God will call you and say, would you trust me here? Would you step out of your safe zone, your comfort zone? Would you be willing to risk things? Now, I'm not saying just throw all caution in the wind, but when you know God is saying, this is the step I want you to take, are you prepared to say yes? And when God gives you direction about where you are and what you're doing, can he find you faithful in those little things before you know, you will realize the much things. Once we realize this, once we accept this as our purpose, once we begin to ask ourselves, how can I accomplish what God has want me to accomplish with him right now, right where I am, you'll begin to think things, right? And you'll begin to do things. And then you're going to begin to reap things. 
And so that's why this moving series message, I believe, is so important. I just want you to begin to think of things that you can be faithful right now, what God has you, where you're planted. And then you begin not just to think about them, but you do those things. That's what God's looking for. And then you'll begin to read things. And, you know, the next three messages are important because we're going to tell, they're going to tell us how we can accomplish these things and do these things and read these things, um, through the principles, that is the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and with the people he calls us to do life with. So I hope you come back. I'm again, really stoked and excited about these messages. Let's go into our take two time. Let's just begin to ask God during this time to think of the things he's calling us to do right now and how can we do them and will we do them before we realize that we will begin to reap big things. So let me pray for you. Father, as we enter this two minutes of, of reflection, I believe that's all, that's just the beginning to what you would have us to think about, what you would lay in our heart. And we may think that, no, this little area is not important, that, that it, but you're saying, oh God, it's all important, Lord. You're telling us it's all important because this is where you want to know, am I, can I, am I faithful? Am I trustful in these little areas, God? And we'll begin to think of these things. We'll begin to do these things, Lord. Your word says, don't just hear the word, but do the word, it says in the book of James, Lord. And then I just really believe in all my heart that we'll begin to reap much, little as much when God is in it. And I just believe that with all my heart, God. So just meet with us here in these next two minutes, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.